Welcome to the Haber Show podcast, episode 21. This week's guest is NBC Sports Boston's Chris Forsberg, who just got back from covering Team USA camp in Vegas. Chris and I have worked together for the bulk of the last decade. Great dude, even better hair. We will get to that, by the way. We'll talk about the vibe at Team USA. We'll talk about Kemba Walker replacing Kyrie Irving. Of course, we'll get to Taco Fall, and we'll also get into our airplane hacks. He just took a red eye, apparently, from Las Vegas. So we'll get into that, all that fun stuff, talking all sorts of things on the Boston Celtics and also talking about the Team USA. I was on vacation last week, so we need to catch up and get everything up to speed from Team USA. All right, let's get to it. Chris Forsberg. Chris Forsberg, what's up, my man? What's going on, Tom? How are you? I'm doing well. I just did a week off vacation. I spent some time in Tennessee in Myrtle Beach where I, I hear you've got family ties in Myrtle Beach. <laughs> I do. I'm actually uh, like, this is one of the last things I will be doing for work. Like, I hope the bosses don't mind me talking out of school here, but vacation time has finally arrived. Me and my whole Forsberg clan are jumping on Spirit Airlines and, and taking ourselves down to Myrtle Beach. My mom's got a place down there and uh, we're going to try and, and, and enjoy this, this uh, a little bit because uh, the NBA has no off season anymore. And I just want like maybe, maybe like three days of quiet would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. You're, I, I got on vacation last week and then CJ McCollum, you know, got his extension and I was like, pulled into to writing about that. It was just, I had to write a few paragraphs for, for NBC Northwest. And it was like, all right, well now I think we're done. And then Draymond did his extension. And my editors <laughs> emailed me. They're like, Hey, can you chime in on this extension? And I got the text as we were going into the Atlantic ocean, 30 miles out. And I was like, Oh, I don't think I can pull this off. But, uh, yeah, I caught some fish. It was great. Um, a hammerhead shark. <laughs> Hold on, hold on. I, I, I need to ask this because this, this has been revolutionary for me as well. Do you find yourself writing stories on your phone now? Oh, all the time. All the time. And, and you know what? Like, like Mark Stein is a guy who uh, from New York Times, we used to work together, you, me, and, uh, and Mark at ESPN. And he's like adamant. He's one of the last holdouts of the BlackBerry because of his, he had to write <laughs> stories on the road. Now, you, you've done a ton of writing, writing stories on the road, I'm sure. Uh, where? How many have you done this off season just on your cell phone? I have fought because I am the slowest iPhone typer in the world. Like my big chunky thumbs just don't let me get the right keys. I get so frustrated that I almost bought, I almost bought a like collapsible keyboard just to carry with me. But then, you know, like, and what am I going to do? I go up for a walk. Am I going to carry the keyboard with me? And so I finally kind of broke down this year and, and tried, I, I honestly got like, I, I was doing like a typing tutorial on my iPhone, just trying to increase my speed. And uh, I no. forget what it was. Maybe it was the Draymond the dream extension. I was like, you know, there's some ramifications here for the Celtics. Like, maybe no one cares, but I should probably punch up a few graphs on this. And uh, both that and the schedule leaks and all that, I found myself now, I was like, I was out walking. I sat down by like a nice pond and I wrote stories. And uh, I'm like, well, all right, all right maybe, maybe I can get used to this. Like, maybe I... Maybe I can embrace the phone a little bit more. Maybe I don't need to carry around my, my MacBook from like 2009 anymore. Well, here's the other question is, are you, uh, are you pro writing stories on the plane or is that your time to catch up on movies? Cause we both have kids. There's no way you can watch movies with kids. So do you like on planes? <laughs> do, I find myself, I am like the fastest writer on planes. I don't know what it is. Is maybe it's just like, Ooh. 
so when I PER just jumps when I go on a plane and I write on a plane for whatever reason, <laughs> I think it's I think it's because the the Wi-Fi isn't so good. So I don't spend my time just jumping around Ooh, site to yeah. site. And I just I just cram out all this writing like I had a flight from Charlotte to Philly to do a draft uh, special in Philly for mm -hmm. NBC Sports. And they did just as I left the ground in in Charlotte the Mike Conley trade happened, right? And so oh. my editors, Dom and, and Seth, were like, hey, man, can you can you pop in? I know you just left and it's a travel day. Can you pop in and do a, a Mike Conley breakdown for the site? And I'm like, you know, I, I have like 37 minutes in the air. I can probably type this out. I, I typed it out in like 30 minutes, uh, a full column. <laughs> and they they told me that it was like, the quickest column they've ever gotten. And I, and you know what, I think there's something to it. Maybe the 30,000 feet in the air, maybe you're, yeah. you're, you're kind of high off the, the lack of oxygen and maybe you just, I don't know, maybe <laughs> the thoughts just free, you know, better up there. I don't know. Is, do you see any upside in being in the air and writing or no? So I always say, especially so like this week I'm, I'm getting ready to go to Vegas. And I said, I get all the stuff I want to finish before vacation. I'm thinking I'm going to be so productive. This is like a six hour flight. I'm going to get through everything I, I need to get to. And then I get on the plane and I, I think I had like a, a box of hot tamales and the drink lady comes around. And then I'm like, I, I, I'm just, I got nothing done. I got not a single thing done on the plane. I watched like the Red Sox Yankees game and I don't even like baseball all that much. And I, I, I don't know. There's something about when I get on the plane, like I, I feel like I get sleepy and I want to go to sleep, but I never sleep. I just, I just, it's like a lethargy. I just sit there, but I am super productive in the 15 minutes before I know the flight is going to start boarding. So it's sort of the same adrenaline rush. Like I'm like, all right, I know I got good Wi-Fi here. If I can get through this, I can send it. I can just get on the plane and relax. And so that's usually the part where I'm, I'm super productive. You know what I've gotten really good at is the holding your coffee in your mouth while typing. This makes everyone on the plane nervous. Last night at JetBlue, I appreciate this. They've started, they've finally added cup holders, like the little, uh, almost like rubbery kind of stretchy thing in front next to the, to, the, to the magazine holder. You have a little cup holder now so that you can put a coffee that it, it's sturdy enough that it will not go flying. And yet I still try to balance it between my knees or my, my feet and, uh, and, and ultimately spill it down seven rows. Of, Wait, so of, it's like uh, an arena, like sitting in a stadium, like, like a little cup holder there in front of you. Yeah, it is. Like, I, again, the, the newer, yeah, it's, it, it, it's game changing. And I forget where else I've seen it. I, 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 dare I say it might've been spirits new fleet of planes <laughs> and only because they've reduced the size of the tray table to like, <laughs> to not even big enough to hold a, a laptop. And, uh, but like, yeah, like I think, I think places are getting hip. All you need now is like a cup holder and a USB charger and people are just content because they can, they don't even need a TV anymore. Like I almost feel bad for JetBlue. I'm like, as long as I can plug in my phone, I can watch as long as you get Wi-Fi, I can probably watch whatever I want on, on my device. Wow. That is game changing. Cause it is like, I feel like people next to me are, are, are so nervous because I'm, I hold it in my teeth. <laughs> it's the little, it's the little paper Starbucks cup. Right. And I hold it in my mm -hmm. teeth cause it's super hot and I don't have anywhere to put it because the laptop yep. is taking up the space on the tray table. So what I end up doing is just holding it in my mouth as I type it out. And like when there's turbulence, it's, it's a disaster. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, I don't know the, I don't know the physics of it, Chris. Like, do you think it's better to hold a cup of hot coffee in turbulence or to put it down on a tray table? I feel like it's better to hold it, right? Yeah, you got to hold it, but you almost have to hover. Your arm can't be touching anything else around you. Like, 
not even the sidewall or your leg or something. It has to essentially be on its own axis or else you're, you're going to, you're going to get the turbulent effect. I hit you today because you, you just got back from Vegas and I'm like, you know what? He's either in Vegas or he's just back from Vegas and this is going to be a terrible idea. But I texted you at like nine o'clock this morning and you hit me right back, which means one or two things. You're still in Vegas and you're up at 6 a.m. or you took a red eye from Vegas and you're already back and you're willing to do a podcast. I took the red eye and all my friends, because I've been texting all morning, they're all like, are you crashed? Did you sleep on the plane last night? Well, no, I did not sleep on the plane. And no, I haven't crashed yet. So we were joking, like, what time should we do this? And, and I was kind of pushing you to go a little bit later because I've, I've got to go to the studio later and do TV. And you were like, how about one o'clock? And in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, if I do fall asleep, that's, that's probably probably peak hours to, to be to oh, be lying no. down. But, you know, I've got this adrenaline rush. I'm, I think it's just vacation. But I do need to ask you, are you pro red eye? Or anti-red-eye, because like every time I tell my friends I took the red-eye, it launches into a big battle and, and discussion. Chris, I might be off Team Red-Eye. I've been on Team Red-Eye this summer. I did so many <laughs> red-eyes covering the finals. I might be off Team Red-Eye. And I'll tell you why. The delay for a red-eye is terrible. In June, I had two red-eyes covering the finals because it's Toronto and, and Oakland, right? There's no direct, there's like yeah. one direct and it's a billion dollars. I didn't do the charter, which <laughs> Paul Flannery and Zach Lowe, like they're laughing at me now, but I didn't do the league charter, which, you know, I've never done it before. I don't know if you have, but what I did was nope. I have done, I did two red eyes. Both of my red eyes required a layover in New York so I have to fly into New York, and when you f- lay over in New York, you, w- you worry about the fact that if that flight, that first flight gets delayed, you're screwed. So you're going to get delayed yeah. going into New York. You're going to miss the connection, and then you have to wait an- in New York for another three or four hours whenever the next flight is out. And that happened to me on both legs. So oh. it was awful, awful, because you're, ar- you're already in your head rationalizing, you know, taking a red eye. But – when it gets delayed and you miss the connection, then you're stuck in the next airport and it just adds, you know, 10 layers of misery to that red eye. So I'll put it this way. If you're going to do a red eye, it has to be a direct to your final destination. And that's what you did. I hope. Yeah, I did. But my problem was three hours delayed. So it totally threw off everything. So I thought I was leaving at 9 p.m. Vegas time and getting back at like 5 a.m. I thought maybe I could get back early, get some sleep in the morning. If I didn't sleep on the plane, no. Instead, we landed at 8 a.m. We hit traffic. I, I live way out in the woods, so I had to like drive an hour home, which turned into an hour and a half drive home. And uh, yeah, just the, the whole day has been a mess. And maybe recalculate whether the red eye is worth it. And, you know, I still say in my mind, I'm saving myself from getting up at 6 a.m. and wasting half the day relocating from the West Coast. I'm still hanging out with red eyes, but the relationship is hitting more turbulence than ever before. Now that I have you on this high and and you're going to peter out soon, I need to ask you, (laughs) is it okay to be optimistic about the Celtics right now because they have four players there at Team USA? They got Kemba, they got Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. They're the only team in the NBA that has more than two players there, and they have four right now, like on the on the actual roster, not the talent team or the select team that the, mm-hmm. the, J, the JV team, for lack of a better term. But Milwaukee has Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton, and then Sacramento has De'Aaron Fox and Harrison Barnes, but the Celtics have four people, and it seems like the optimism is abound there for the Celtics. Uh, is that true? Is this just... One of those off seasons where you get rid of Kyrie Irving and the Celtics are riding high right now. 
Yeah, well, I think one thing is that if ever they needed an offseason where they could sort of get some good vibes, this was probably the one, and so that probably can't hurt. And I've maintained that having to integrate a new point guard especially, it's probably helpful for for three of your main guys in Smart, Tatum, and Brown to be able to get out there with Kemba Walker and, and at least learn, you know, where you guys like the ball, what is Kemba's style like. You know, okay, listen, they're going to have plenty of time once training camp rolls around to do all that, but – I just think it's important, especially in this environment where, you know, it's competitive games and everyone wants to be on that main roster. So even training camps got a little bit of fire to it. So I do think there's a lot of positive. Then I, I kind of put it to Brad Stevens yesterday. I said, well, you know, are you happy? Is, is this a chance for you guys to build chemistry? And he says, well, we got 11 other guys. So there's still some work to be done, mm. but I do, I do think there's a benefit. And listen, like the Celtics and, and maybe it's, it's my bias in, in, in covering the team, but it certainly felt like because they have such this humongous presence and, and having these four guys and Kemba being one of the featured players in general on this team, it sort of made them the focal point here early at Team USA. And I do think, you know, again, that just how frustrating last season was. I think the guys were really refreshed to just sort of get out there and start building that chemistry, start building some better vibes. And they're encouraged, man. You wouldn't know from talking to these guys that they lost two All-Stars this offseason and that their ceiling isn't nearly as high as it once was. Is Brad Stevens on the coaching staff? I thought it was like Steve Kerr. Is he, is, is he on the coaching staff? No, Brad just breezed in. He was actually going to a wedding out in Sacramento and uh, brought his son out uh, to, to be a part of it. His son, who, who uh, uh, I'm trying to think, he almost like getting close to high school age now. And uh, but but gets to go on the road a lot to these games. And, and he was really happy to be around the, the Team USA and uh, soaked that in. And, you know, Brad's done some Team USA stuff in the past, uh, not necessarily with with the parent groups. But, um, you know, it's something I think he wants to do down the road. Uh, he has ultimate respect for Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr. So I think he was really smitten that his guys get to work with them. Uh, and and build good habits and and be around sort of leaders that uh, that know a little bit about winning and so Brad just popped in for a couple of days here uh, to catch up with his guys uh, en route to to the wedding but uh, you know uh, a good chance just to sort of like I, again you know a lot of people worry about injuries and Marcus Smart tweaked a, a calf and they you know Celtics fans are like see this is this is why you don't go to Team USA. Uh, but Brad sees nothing but positive and, and really is enjoying having his guys out there. Do you think he and Kemba are a good match? I think so. I mean, like, we probably would have said that with anyone who wasn't Kyrie <laughs> in the aftermath. <laughs> it's like, you know, Brad certainly learned something last year about having to manage a superstar and, uh, you know, one who certainly comes with the reputation of being a little bit prickly. Now, I always kind of catch myself because it's easy to put all of the Celtics problems on, on, on Kyrie and say that, you know, it went off the rails because, you know, solely because of him, but that would be unfair. You know, even the young guys shouldn't be absolved, but no one on that team was quite willing to sacrifice themselves to help this team figure it out. And no one played to the level of their potential because they never were willing to try to figure out how to best make this thing work. And some of that goes back to Brad as well. I think Brad would be the first to tell you he did not have his finest year coaching. And if he had to do it over again, he'd probably change a a little bit of the way he ran things just to try and give his team a better chance of pulling itself out of 
out of the funk it it, it endured for much of the year. What in what uh, sense? In what sense do you think Brad uh, had room to improve last year? Like where where was it? I, is it ego management? Is it like communication with the team? Is it X's and O's? Like what do you think was the area that Brad aired the most last year? Yeah, I think early in the year there was just guys who didn't want to step on each other's toes. I think about like. Kyrie comes into the year and he was super deferential at the start, almost like he was trying to pump the tires of the other guys. And then he's kind of swung to the opposite extreme after that, when they started to struggle, like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to figure out how to win these games myself. Certainly a lot has been made about the minutes that Gordon Hayward played early in the year. I don't really begrudge Brad for that. I think Brad understood that if the Celtics were ever going to be like reach their ceiling, that they needed Gordon Hayward to be great and he needed to play his way through his struggles. But certainly that caused some, at least like, I think the young guys looked over and said, Hey, you know, we were in the conference finals last year and we played really well. And here's this guy who's struggling, you know, is it fair that he's starting games and getting these minutes? Now Gordon eventually went to the bench and, and, and embraced that role. But, you know, I do think that just in general, the, the underperformance of the team at the start of the year, probably something I don't know if anything Brad could have done to pull them out of that. And eventually he did change the lineup, but once they got to 10 and 10 and started like questioning themselves, I don't think they ever recovered. And I've said it a lot. Like I almost wonder if the Celtics had started 15 and five instead of 10 and 10, like if we're sitting here talking about how it's now Kyrie and Anthony Davis and you know, they, they gone to the finals last year and yeah, they didn't win, but now they've got Anthony Davis. And I wonder how much different things would have played out if they didn't combust so early on and never pull themselves out of the tailspin, because I just think that really laid the groundwork for where Kyrie by December, you know, he makes the proclamation October 4th and says, uh, you know, if you'll have me back, I'll resign here. And then we hear Spencer Dinwiddie saying that by December, he's calling him and trying to get the scouting report on the Nets. And so I wonder if, if that wandering eye wouldn't have been there if, uh, if the Celtics had been better. And I, so I, I do wonder if Brad could have done something different. I, I can't tell you what that would have been. Uh, I just think that they tried to ride it out. Brad's typical MO is to like let his players work through their, tr- their struggles, whether that's like in the micro of a game or a macro of, 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 a, of an early season slump. And I just wonder if he should have shaken things up quicker to avoid uh, the tailspin they went into. When you mentioned the tailspin, what's funny to me is that that Pacers series might be might be the most forgotten series of all time. <laughs> like, so like because because like if, if we're talking about tailspins, I think we we basically focus on yes, it was a bad regular season, a bad start to the regular season. Kyrie's comments didn't help matters, but I remember going on the show with you guys and being like, "Look, momentum doesn't matter." It doesn't like they they didn't finish the season well. They they come into the postseason against the Pacers. It's a four or five matchup. I think they I think they're going to win this series. And I remember a lot of Boston fans being like, "You're nuts! You're nuts!" The <laughs> seems to be terrible. And then they swept them. They swept the yeah. Pacers, and like then there was a little bit of optimism maybe. again. Is maybe maybe they just steered steer the ship and bygones be bygones, and and Jason Tatum's going to break out again, and it's going to be good. And it never happened. Like, it's funny because I asked Thad Young yesterday. I'm sitting there and I said, you know, are you surprised, like, what happened with, with the Celtics? Because they really handled Indiana. And I know that they didn't have all the depot, but, you know, still the way they cruised there, we all did. We all sat there. And, and then game one against Milwaukee, they yep. go out and roll in Milwaukee. And, you, and we're sort of saying, that, okay, maybe they did flip a switch. And maybe they, you know, maybe Kyrie was right. He, he was going to ramp it up in the playoffs. But then 
like the next four games were just the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And I mean, some of the decisions Kyrie made and calling for the switches on Giannis and just putting up a ton of bad shots. It was like, it was amazing how quick it felt like Kyrie checked out. Like he was just like, all right, let's get this over with. We're not a championship team. Let's just get to the finish line. And I do think there's some truth to that where he just knew he wasn't going to be back and was sort of resigned to the fact that he couldn't do this on his own and that eventually uh, the Bucks were going to be the, the, the more talented team. And so once the, the wheels started to come off in that series, it was just like they really came off for that team. And it, it was just fascinating to watch. I mean, but it's it sort of, again, that's a microcosm of the season where you just never knew on a night to night basis what you were going to get from this team. And like they really rode this roller coaster of emotion and, and of play and nowhere more than in that playoff. It's going to be such a change from Kyrie to Kemba. It's like the the personality change. Like Kemba is as close to Kawhi as you get in terms of the star power, where he just doesn't care about the publicity. He doesn't really care about the accolades. He just wants to hoop. And you won't find any very cryptic Instagram messages from Kemba. Like he is a <laughs> gamer, right? And I think you know this off season when he the noise started started uh, appearing for 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 Kemba to go to Boston. I was like, man, that is going to be such a cultural reset. And I do think there's some kinks there with in terms of his on-court fit because, you know, Kyrie and him, personality-wise, couldn't be more different. But I do think that Kemba was the number one, the number two, and the number three option on that Charlotte mm-hmm. Hornets team. And so if you look at the shots taken in clutch situations last year, Kemba Walker had 126, and the next highest guy had 44. He had more clutch shots than the next three players combined last year for the Hornets. So like there is a sense where he's going to have a little bit of an adjustment in that, in that system where they're going to share the ball a lot more and he's going to be able to share the ball a lot more where he can, he can rely on uh, Gordon Hayward to take some of the ball handling dues and he can rely on Jason Tatum to score and he doesn't have to do everything offensively. But what is your initial reactions to now that you've covered him for a few days, Kemba Walker and just the, the, the impact on his teammates and what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, well, well, first off, Kemba, the, the person just, I mean, has, has blown me away. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a small example. We're sitting there and, and we've heard like just how much, you know, the, the, the fans mean to him and, and all that. Well, he steps outside to, to go to the, the, the bus and, you know, pops yelling at everybody to get on and they want to get out of there. And the fans scream Kemba, Kemba. And he can't, he's like, it's almost like this magnetic force pulls him over to the sideline. He goes and sits there and, and signs autographs for, for every last person that was in the 112 degree heat, because that means something to him. And he was blown away just by the media presence at team USA. He's like, man, I'm, I haven't seen this. Cause as you know, like Charlotte media core isn't, isn't overwhelming. And so I think all those things for him, it's just like this whole new world and he's embracing that spotlight. Now, certainly it comes down to, okay, just like you said, I think a lot of Celtics fans sit there and say, Kyrie's gone, everything's fixed. And I, I just don't know if it's that easy. Like everybody has to still morph and grow a little bit. I mean, you think about it, Kemba signed the max deal and, and, and coming to this, to this big stage, he's going to want to show that he was worth that investment. You have Gordon Hayward now two years removed from that injury. He's going to want to show that he can be an all-star again. And, and he's going to want to show that he's healthier and can do that. You still got Tatum and Brown wanting to, to sort of elevate, you know, how do they all fit together and how do they embrace the sacrifices that they didn't make last year? Cause they still have to do that. Yes. You know, the other star of the Celtics loses is Al Horford, who was just happy to be a facilitator. Well, what guy is happy to take a step back and do that? And I, I don't know if there's an obvious choice. So uh, the one thing I will say is that it's been interesting because 
one of the, the, the early themes down at Team USA was Pop is doing the whole uh, 0.5, you know, get the ball out quickly and move it. And so even Kemba's got to get in the habit of, of getting the ball out of his hands. And if he doesn't have a, you know, if he can't get past his defender, kicking it over. And I think that'll serve him well because he's going to have to learn to move the ball more often that he doesn't have to dribble it for 12 seconds and take a bad jumper because he doesn't have the confidence in the teammates around him. He can rely on Tatum more. He can rely on Jalen Brown. It's not Batum and Kid Gilchrist and these guys that maybe he didn't have full confidence in. And so if he can embrace that, I can see it working really well, but just that I still think there's going to be all this pressure on all these guys wanting to to get theirs. And I'm going to be fascinated to see how that plays out, especially early on as Brad, you know, kind of gets them in the mindset of, uh, you know, it's still the best version of the Celtics is probably going to be everybody sacrificing a little bit. I could totally see Brad Stevens, like getting on Kemba to be more assertive in the offense, because right now he's the, of the 21 Americans on the all NBA team over the last three years. I did this research. 21 Americans on that are eligible, quote-unquote, eligible to be on Team USA this summer. The only one on the all-NBA teams over the last three years that is on the team is Kemba. He's the only one. So, like, he is the only, the only quote-unquote, star on this team. You can point to Kyle Lowry. You can point to Donovan Mitchell. But, like, in terms of star power, all-NBA players, the only one over the last three years that is eligible to play and is playing is Kemba Walker. Now... James Harden is gone. You know, Clay Thompson got hurt. Uh, Kyrie is not playing. Everyone who could be playing has basically opted out. This is his team, and I'm curious to see, you know, how he's going to take that responsibility. Is he going to be deferential or overly deferential to his teammates? Because, mm-hmm. like you said, this is new for him. Being the guy on a team with that much talent is new for him. He won at UConn. He won a championship, but that was a long time ago. So I'm curious to see that. And and I'm wondering your take on who's got a bigger summer ahead of them, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, because for them to reach for Ooh. the Celtics to reach their peak between Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who is the guy who needs to step up the most or has the biggest summer ahead of them that you're going to be watching keenly for Myrtle Beach? Yeah, <laughs> I think t- I, I, I defer to Tatum in part because I just think of the two, he has the higher ceiling. Like I, I think Jalen's ceiling is higher than most people give him credit for. And I think the last two postseasons, he's really played well. He's been one of the, the Celtics' more consistent players. And I think we undervalue that a little bit in terms of like how Jalen is viewed around the league. Certainly he needs to be more consistent as a defender. He needs to, to, to tweak a few things on his offensive game. But there's a lot of raw talent there that can be molded. But Tatum, to me, and unfairly, ever since he dunked on LeBron in the 2018 Conference Finals Game 7 and nearly willed the Celtics into the finals, we all sat there and said, this guy might be a top 10 guy. And then he didn't have a bad year last year, but he didn't have a good year. Like, I feel like he didn't, he didn't come close to the expectations that he set for himself or that the outside world had sort of mm-hmm. put on him. And I think, I think he knows that too, right? Like, you know, he's been very open, especially here at Team USA about, you know, I need to be more assertive. I need to be more vocal. You know, he understands that it's in him that I think the, 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 that it's clear. I mean, from everything from, you know, signing with Jumpman to uh, he's got an Abercrombie and Fitch perfume line now. What? You know, like, I mean, that doesn't happen for everybody. <laughs> so, so I, the rest of the, like, I get the sense that the rest of the NBA looks at Jason Tatum and says, there's a star in the making. And 
but I, he still has to show it. And we sort of said, okay, he's 19, he's 20. Well, 21 now, third year. He wants to make a bigger leap. I think Team USA, is, there's always some younger guy that sort of steps up and asserts themselves, or at least, you know, when I think back to the co- closest comparison of this team, I probably think back to 2010 when, you know, after everybody bolted and it was a younger team and what was it? Derek Rose was on that squad. And, you know, I, all, there was a younger guy that they're going to step forward and assert themselves. I think Tatum, maybe Donovan Mitchell, like there's a chance for these guys to really say, Hey, we're the next generation of stars. And so from team USA and straight into the early part of the year, I think, to me, it, my eyes are on Tatum and whether he can just be the the player that I think we all thought he was going to be after those 2018 playoffs. Do they have a starting center or a starting power forward on this team? Eh, I mean, it depends <laughs> on, like, do they have an obvious starting center? I don't know. Uh, Ennis Cantor will probably be the starting center. I do believe, Danny, when they say that once they knew Kyrie was gone and once they had sort of turned their attention to how you put this thing back together without Al and without uh, Kyrie, that the Kemba Cantor combo intrigued them as kind of like someone who can set screens, who can clean up the offensive glass. He's certainly more of an offensive-minded player that than Brad Stevens has ever had at that position. Brad was saying to me yesterday that they've got a lot of different kind of centers that they can mix and match. and I'll be interested to see how exactly he deploys them. I've sort of been in the camp that I'd like to see what, what they've got in Robert Williams, you know, super athletic rim runner. Um, I can see a situation where by the end of the year, he's getting more of the minutes and sort of is the future at that position, but he's still very raw as well. And still trying to, to figure out exactly how he can be uh, impactful. Like he gets a lot of block shots, but he's got to be better positionally and uh, you know, staying within the system and, and helping. And so once he gets that, I wonder if, if the offense takes care of itself, uh, if he can, if he can sort of ramp up his minutes, but you know, you think back, they got Daniel Tice, who before he injured his meniscus two seasons ago was kind of a floor stretching big man who who had some potential, but he can't joust with the with the uh, Embiid's and and Giannis's of the world. They went overseas and got Vincent Poirier, uh, another kind of above the rim guy who's seven feet and at least gives them some size and rebounding. So I think Brad's just going to sort of try to figure that out. And the other guy is Grant Williams who, you know, they're really high on even before summer league, but even after they got to look at it. Now, the question is, he's just not very big. And can you put him as an undersized center? Um, He gives you a lot of what Horford brought in terms of basketball IQ and Mm -hmm. passing ability and savvy. Um, But I don't know if he's necessarily ready to step in and do that immediately. So, hey, listen, there's minutes there for whoever wants him. And maybe it's just Cantor who sort of gets invigorated and, and knows that, with an option on the second year that he's got the chance to sort of play his way into his next big deal, a, a, a bigger deal. If he can prove himself again, uh, I, I'll be fascinated to see how the big man situation plays itself out. I love the, uh, Grant Williams pick and not just cause he's from, uh, from here in Charlotte, but I think he's like a, a Draymond green light. And I know people are going to go crazy. Like everyone's a Draymond green light once they, once they, uh, <laughs> once they won the title with Draymond. But I just think from an, a basketball IQ, the fact that he's quote unquote undersized, he's a, big guy uh he's strong he's 20 years old so he's he's not exactly um young super young for for a rookie but I think when you look at his stats at at Tennessee last year he's a really good distributor and I think he's got a lot of basketball IQ in him and I think people are underrating him simply because he's one of those older guys like no one likes to take the the you know junior or senior in in college right but I think Mm -hmm. I think he's really smart his mom was an engineer or is an engineer at NASA um 
My buddy was is the JV coach at, at Providence Day where he went to high school and he's Ooh. like, man, this dude is super smart. Like not just not just basketball smart, but actually like way smarter um, than you think. And I, I wrote this. I, I think there's an academic bowl between him and Jalen Brown. Who are you taking, Chris? <laughs> I'm going to defer to Grant Williams only because he had the a few more years of college. And I think I think I heard he played like 11 instruments. And like, I, I, I don't know, man. Like if you can, if you can be that good, can you name, with, let's with do multiple, it. Let's try to name 11 instruments. Okay. All right. I'm going to go one okay. guitar. Go. Uh, violin. Cello. Ooh, that's going to be mine. Uh, uh, recorder. Drums. You know, do you play, ever play that? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, bass. Is that, is that overlapping? Can I do bass and a rhythm guitar? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, a trumpet. All right. Saxophone. Oboe. Clarinet. Tuba. Penny whistle. A what? It's like a penny whistle. It's like a, it's like a, a miniature uh, uh, like clarinet or something. A penny whistle? Like a, I've yeah. never heard that before. Go- I'm Googling this Google now. It. Do you think I- Grant Williams can play the penny whistle? <laughs> I, mean, I can't bet against it because I think it's one of those like woodwind instruments that if you know how to play a saxophone, you could probably play a penny whistle. I'm Googling it right now. It's also called a tin whistle. Sure. Wait, how do you, is this, is this a Boston thing? Like, am I? No, God, no, 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 no. I actually like the, the sad part is I just started to think of like bands with a lot of members and the instruments they played. And I defaulted to like Dave Matthews. And I remember their saxophone guy used to play. A, a, oh, a who, uh, what's his name? What's his name? Leroy Moore. That's right. Peace. Oh man. A tin whistle. An Irish tin whistle lesson. All right, we're going to stop at Penny Whistle because I, I don't think you can top that. And at, I'm, nope, I'm now nope. curious to know if Grant Williams can play the the, the, the Penny Whistle. Um, It'll be my first question to him the next time I see him. So, yeah, but J- Jalen Brown's got a lot of talent too, man. If we did a Renaissance Man competition, oh, no, yeah. man, that's that, that's tough. Yeah, like, I, I mean, and especially with Jalen, he's been doing like the Tech Summit now and, and now he's part of the NBPA, like, I mean, he's got a lot of a lot of those smarts too that he can bring there. I mean, Cal, a year Cal had to, to teach you a lot, and so I don't know. A- academic decathlon could be uh, could be quite the uh, adventure in Boston. All right, so he's um, Grant Williams could be you know a starter by the end of the year or at least playing good minutes. But I, I'm still if I, I did some over unders today, Chris, um, for the for Ooh. the column, and I picked my three locks for overs and I picked my three locks for unders, and um, you know, looking at the Celtics, I couldn't go either way. I st- I still don't have a good grasp about how this season's going to go for the Celtics because you want to say that they're going to do this, you know, addition by subtraction with Kyrie Irving that he was such a fog over the team, a dark cloud over the year, and then you go to Kemba replacing him. I want to say over. I want to take the over, right? But then I think about the front court, and I'm just not – I just don't know what they're going to do there. And you hope that the Time Lord, he's able to step in right away and just become the guy that they thought that he was a couple years ago when they drafted mm-hmm. him in first round. But uh, Canner just feels like a good, um, a good option off the bench, but he's going to be thrust into the starting role. And I, I want to say that he's going to be able to show out defensively in Brad Stevens' system and that they, they're going to overachieve again on the defensive end. But I, I don't believe it. I, I don't see it. So I think they're going to be um, whatever Vegas has them at. I, I think I think that's a fair number. Uh, the question I have I think it's 40, 49 and a half, maybe. Yeah. Like in the Eastern Conference, 
I, that's tough. Where do you go well, on and that? that, that well, so that that's me. Like that's the part that that makes it easy to me. Like I say, the Eastern Conference. Like I know some of the of the real bad teams from last year could be intriguing. Like I think Chicago will be more intriguing with better health, and you know, like Atlanta should be better. But I don't know. At the end of the day, I just feel like the Celtics should be at least a fifty win team. Mm. And I, I know it sounds absurd because their ceiling's not as high, but I just think they're going to play a whole lot freer in the regular season, I think they're just going to be, you know, like they've got motivation to prove themselves after last year. I think they've got motivation in the fact that, you know, we're all sitting here and thinking, you know, are they sort of the, the top of the second tier in the East or can Indiana lay claim to that? And um, I don't know. I, I just think I, if I had to, if I had to pick one, I'd pick over. I went under last year. I'm not going to say I, I thought that what, how it played out was going to happen. I just thought it was going to, there was going to be some integration problems and I thought that they would struggle a little bit more than, than maybe we thought. And I, I just figured they wouldn't care too much about seeding. Uh, this year, I think it's going to matter a little bit. I think they want to assert themselves. So I, I, I'm leaning over if I had to pick one. All right. Well, I'll tell you who I went under on and it's the Nets. So they're at 43 Ooh. and a half. And I know people are going to think I'm crazy for, for banging the under here, but over the last seven seasons, Kyrie Irving has hit the under his team has hit the under in five of the last seven seasons for a combined 34 net wins under the over-under. So that's about five wins short every season on average. Now, some of that is LeBron. Some of that is coasting in the regular season. But I just feel like when we talk about Kyrie Irving, we think of his shot in Game 7 of the of the 2016 Finals. We think of his one-on-one skills, the fact that he has his own signature signature shoe and he's incredibly uh, popular athlete. But in terms of regular season wins and losses, uh, he has underperformed more often than he hasn't. And I think the Nets, you know, they had, I think, an unbelievable year last year, but I think they might come down to earth. And given the fact that Kyrie Irving, we just don't know what kind of player he's going to be for them next year. They maxed out with D'Angelo Russell last year, and they barely made it into the playoffs. I just feel like people are getting a little too high on the Nets, especially with the fact that they got Kevin Durant. And he's not going to play next year, most likely. I, I'm, I'm, I'm banging the under on the, on the Brooklyn Nets. What do you think about that? I'm banging the over on the number of subscriptions you're about to add in Boston by suggesting that Kyrie's going to struggle with uh, with the Nets. But I I, I, I I do sort of agree. You know, like when I reflect on Kyrie's time in Boston, while it was fascinating to watch, you know, I, I'll say he came with the reputation of being this like, you know, late game monster. And, and really the first game he played up in Cleveland, he missed, I think it was a chance to tie or force overtime against LeBron. And I, I can't really recall uh, I think there was one game winner he hit. And but, so that's not to say he wasn't like otherworldly at times. And that 16 game winning streak they had in his first year here, he was amazing. Like, I mean, he, he was unbelievable. And I do think there'll be a little bit of a honeymoon period with the Nets. So I could see them starting fast. And, you know, maybe by the, you, you get to, to, to December and you're sitting there looking at that prediction and thinking, oh man, maybe I should have gone the over, but I agree. Like, I think there's going to come a point where Kyrie's going to look at the roster and look at the team and go, yeah, this just isn't a championship potential. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna maybe downshift a little bit and wait till till Katie's healthy and Katie's back out here, and and we'll and we'll see what we got. But I think that's a fair assessment. Like the Nets were probably, can they find the same dynamic they had last year? And like, how will it go integrating Kyrie? And 
You know, will they have a lot of the same problems that Boston had trying to figure out how the young core works with, with the new superstars. And so I think that's fair. I don't know that, that 43 just sounds so criminally low. It's hard <laughs> for me to say under, I'm going and under. yet how, like I said, Celtics fans are hoping you're right, Tom. Like they're gonna, they're 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 they're, they're, they're hoping that they're down in the thirty wins, and then they'll just parade around and say uh, we did the you know they, that they didn't need them up here. I think most of the excitement and look the the sports book I was using is at forty three yeah. and a half, but I think there's like forty five and forty six out there too. I'm just gonna take the under. I, I don't think that Kyrie Irving in the regular season is as useful as people think or his reputation is, and I also think. The system is going to be a little bit different. I don't know about his knee. He missed some time last year with his knee. And of course, you know, he's, he's had surgery and then surgery again. And then of course the, the infection that happened a couple years ago, like that's not totally relevant to his knee right now. But I know there are some executives around the league who were just like, I think it was a good thing for the, for the Nets to get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But man, there's some injury risk there with both of those guys. Yeah, and like, and to roll it back to like a Celtics perspective, you know, listen, if if Kyrie had come to them and said, "Okay, I'll resign," they would have resigned him. Like, you you don't, you don't just like get rid of all NBA talent. Like, they understood. Like, if they could have got him back, they would have done it. And yet, I also don't think that they sit here and felt overly like sad that it didn't work out and that he decided to move on. I think they understood there were some limitations, especially defensively. And I mean, like this was coming off a season in which he said he was trying defensively, at least until the playoffs when he started doing those mindless switches with Giannis. And I, I just think that durability is absolutely a concern. Part of the, the reason the Celtics are so smitten by getting Kemba is that he's a guy that does miss a lot of time. That's been, that's been routinely out there. Whereas if you look at Kyrie's game log, it's, you know, a lot of 60 game seasons and, you know, a lot of missed time with the, with the injuries. And so durability is important. They want their guys out there. And yeah, Kyrie misses, like, that's the other thing. If Kyrie misses 20 games for that Nets team, you know, then, then that's even more of a chance to, to push that under. Over, under, Taco Fall one game with the Boston Celtics <laughs> next season. I'll go over because I think there's a chance oh. that he lands like one of the, like they'll maybe, they, so they've got an open roster spot right now. And yep. now, you know, the inclination for Danny Ainge is going to be to find the best available guy. And, you know, maybe they find like a glaring need in training camp and say, oh, okay, we got to, we need to add another, I don't know necessarily what they need. Like I, I can't say they need another big cause they have so many as it is, but maybe they need, but, but they, they need another swing man just to, to add some depth. Cause someone gets hurt. You know, maybe they fill that roster spot with, with a, with a more proven veteran, but if they don't, if they're comfortable with the 14 guys they have now, I could see them taking one of their two way players currently, which is Tremont waters who had a, a phenomenal summer league and really kind of showed that he was worth way more than that late second round pick they use. Uh, and move him to the to the active roster. Maybe Taco gets signed to one of those two way slots. And then you got you got to bring him up anyway. You want to use those days. I can see them in a pinch. A big man's hurt. He's on the court. You know, getting an opportunity. I think way more likely that it's two games appeared in. But they are clearly intrigued by him. And it really is a fascinating story too because he's still on this exhibit ten. He's he's essentially honoring the contract he signed right after the draft and, and, and agreeing to come to camp, but the Celtics will have to expose him to waivers in order to try and get him through to just, if they want to be an affiliated player with Maine. So, you know, push is going to come to shove somewhere here. And uh, you know, the Celtics really like his potential. They know it's going to take a lot of work to get him to where he can be an NBA player. And yet the way he carries himself, he's way more fluid than I thought he would be. Like I thought he'd get out there and look like jangly and, 
that's just for me not watching a whole lot of college games. Like he showed me some some real intriguing potential in that in that summer league. And I know it's summer league and we get way too hyped up about that. And it's summer. So we sit here and, 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 and fascinated about taco fall and why he's the most searched Celtic player on Google, uh, at this point, but, um, even more than Kemba, which is fascinating. But I do think there that if, if that roster spot is open, I can see taco finding a way into it. And he's got a legion of fans up here who are hopeful that taco Tuesday has become a thing. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, think of all the, the business opportunities that Boston could get. The, I mean, listen, the main Red Claws should be out of their mind excited if they can figure out whether he's a two-way or whether he's an affiliated player or however it is. They will sell out every game. Portland, Maine, by the way, is an amazing city. If people need a summer travel destination, the food and beer scene up there is otherworldly. I think it's one of the one magazine, I, I, and I, I wish I could remember which one now, uh, ranked it like the best, uh, the best food city in America or something like that. It's worth the hype to get up there. And if you have the added excitement of seeing a taco fall game, you should do it. I have done a lobster crate race. They have like all these lobster crates lined up and you have to run across them. I think I got to like three lobster crates. They're not very buoyant, Chris, lobster crates. So uh, Portland can vouch, can vouch. Portland's a great city and it's not that far away from Boston. Um, it's right there. It's, it's old. Nope. If you haven't seen like old New England before, go make the trip to Portland, Maine. How many lobster crates do you think Taco Fall could get? I think he would do one, but it would be all of them. Like he would, he would just, he would only take one step across all the lobster crates. It's like 20 of them. And he would complete the race. It would be one. It would be one, but he would do it entirely. Um, you and I, we would have to do 20, but he would do one. Um, so here's, here's the thing on the Celtics and I'll wrap with this. I think it's going to be Brad Stevens here. I think this is his year because he kind of got a free pass last year, given that Kyrie, you know, dominated the headlines. But I think this is, you know, Gordon Hayward. Now that he's now that he's got another year under his belt, can he maximize Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward? Can he use the Kemba Walker, you know, selfless superstar? I think if they have a down year again, it's going to fall on Brad Stevens just because I think he's I think he's he's got an amazing reputation around the league but i think this is an opportunity i think this is a great opportunity for him to uh to reclaim his status as a top five uh nba coach i think it's a a really tough assignment they don't have a a real four or a real five out there a lot of guys can get those spots but it's it's going to be a testament to coaching next year whether they can be a really good defensive unit with without that kind of presence on the back line so we'll see and i hope he i was just going to ask you at the front is his son like does he and he's going into high school apparently does he look like he's three years old <laughs> like, like I, yeah i'm like who, like what does brad stevens like eighth grader look like is he like five does he look five <laughs> it is a remarkably young looking family and uh people out here are joking about it especially because you know, you'd think a season with Kyrie and the season that they just had would age a coach, you know, 10 years. But instead, Brad, at least this summer, looks tan, looks rejuvenated. He had a he had a fresh haircut yesterday. And, uh, yeah, still looks like 25 and, uh, and young. You know, the interesting thing to me is I think you're right. Like, And why I think it's going to be a good year for Brad is that this is exactly the sort of situation that he always overachieves in, right? Like, He's still got a lot of talent, a lot more than he ever had at Butler. But we're all sitting there saying, well, well what are they? They've got holes. They've lost Al Horford and, and Kyrie. They're, they don't have the ceiling. 
well, this is exactly the, the sort of situation where Brad drums something up and, and finds a way to, to outkick expectations. And I think it's telling that Danny Ainge went out and got a roster that sort of accentuates the offense. And that's, you know, as much as the Celtics have fancied themselves as a defensive-minded team, I think Brad Stevens is able to get the most defensively out of all of his teams. I think he looks at it in a guy like Cantor and says, all right, listen, you know, not, not regarded as the best defender, but we'll figure out how to use them and we'll figure out how to get the most out of them. So that's Brad's challenge. Like, you know, how does he make all these puzzle pieces work together? How does he, how does he not experience the drop-off that people probably think is going to happen when you go from Al Horford to, to NS Cantor? And, you know, can he get this group to work right? And I think he will. And, you know, I just, I've, I've seen it too often where Brad pushes the right button. I think he's going to be, as much as his players are motivated, after not coming close to expectations last year, I think Brad is particularly, he was hard on himself right after that Milwaukee series. He spent a lot of time this summer examining what he could have done better. And while he, wasn't, he won't sit there and give us a, a play-by-play on what he should have done, I think he's energized to, to get back out there more than anyone showed that, that last year was an aberration. You heard it here, folks. Last year, Chris Forsberg said hit the under. This year, hammer the over. Pound the over. And maybe Pound I'm just, I'm just the hopeful over. that I have a, a fun. <laughs> I just want a fun team to cover. I, you know what? I'll take less wins as long as they're more enjoyable to, to be around. You know, I, I, I think I, what they won 49 last. How much? How many get 40? Yeah, 49 wins 49. last year. Oh, yeah. You know what? In the Eastern, I think I think I have Philly winning the regular season in the Eastern Conference being the number one seed. And there's not a lot of teams at the top. And Boston has a chance to get up there. I wouldn't say at the very top, but in the top four, they should reclaim the top four status. So, hey, how's your hair doing before we go? Are you going to get another haircut in, a, in an hour? <laughs> I saw the picture. Uh, uh, it, like, is, it is outrageous. It is. And so uh, let me tell you, I, I just, just for the people who are, are wondering why we're talking about this, I was out in Vegas. It's 112 degrees. I'm melting. I got this big hair, like a faux hawk, but it's like I could muddle through in the Northeast and get through the humidity and be okay. But out there, my hair was just all over the place. Like I just couldn't get a good look. And I'm doing this on camera stuff for, for NBC Sports Boss, and I look like I'm a mess. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get a haircut. So I researched barbers in, in Las Vegas for like 20 hours. And I find this guy who's at some resort, but you have to go to like a back room and an alley. Uh, but he's regarded as like the best barber. And I get there and he's holding a shattered mirror in his hand. And I said, what happened? He goes, I don't know, but like 30 years in the business, I've never broken a mirror. I just put it down too hard. Oh, no. And I should have ran at that point. Instead, I got in the barber's chair. And the whole time he's cutting my hair, he's looking at the clock and he's like, I'm so sorry, but I got this other guy coming in and he's getting married today and I don't want to make him wait. And so I think he maybe hit the accelerator on me a little bit too much. And what he really did was he just took the lowest blade he had, buzzed up the size. I said, take a look, like a couple inches off the top. He took maybe like a half inch. And now I got this like kid and play high top fade thing going on. And uh, the wind was messing with me yesterday. And it's been a real traumatic experience for me. And I feel like people on the plane were laughing at me. I might just own it and, you know, like I'm going on vacation. Do I really care? Like in Myrtle Beach, it'll be the most normal looking hair uh, in the South. So I, I don't know. I'm, I might just live with it. I'm imagining Roger Klotz, Roger from Doug. Getting a leather jacket and some jeans. I don't know if you watched that, uh, watched Doug growing up, but man, uh, that oh, sounds like, so. a, like a definite Roger Klotz. I mean, you know, actually Gordon Hayward kind of rocked that, right? 
he does, but it, 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 it's just, it, it, if you go short on the side, there's only so high you can go on top. And I just have this bad mix right now. Like my, 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 uh, uh, my, 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 my usage rate of top of the head to side of the head is not, not on point right now. Oh man. Well, well, I have to ask, how do you, how do you Google barbers? Like, is there a Yelp for barbers? Is, is Yelp the barber Yelp? You know what? There, I wish there was a lot of it was Yelp. There's an app called Booksy that you can like, uh, reserve barbershops. And I pulled up and there was an alarming number of them in, uh, Las Vegas. And there was like, I tried to go by the reviews there. Uh, it's almost like an Uber, like 5.0 scale. And, but yeah, like it, it, I don't know. It just, it just didn't go well. I don't, and I, I don't know how the guy must've been, been running up his rating somehow because he, he didn't have the facility to be, uh, one of the top ranked barbers. And I, I question the, the booksy app right now. Wow. Are you going to go into a booksy in the booksy app and read it, write a scathing review? I just don't have the heart. Like even when I have a bad <laughs> Uber experience, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to kill this guy's rating. Like I don't want, I wouldn't yeah. want someone to take it out on me. I'm just going to say he had a bad day, but I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to own the haircut. And when people come up to me, I'm going to be like, no, this is the new look. This is what's in. This is what all the kids are getting. Yesterday, I had a dude uh, with no shoes on give me a ride uh, back from the airport. Just no shoes, just driving without shoes on. And I couldn't, I couldn't really understand the move there. I, I know it's his car, and so he doesn't really mind. But I thought, like, if you're, if you're trying to keep a, a five-star rating, like, driving without shoes probably isn't the best thing. Did he have, like, flip-flops on and then nope. remove them? Nope. No shoes, no stuff? shoes to be seen. He was a shoeless Uber driver, or a Lyft driver, I should say. What would he do if he had to go in, like, like what if he had to stop at the bank? I, mean, I, guess, I guess you could use the drive-up ATM, but I'm, I, I, I have know. more questions than answers. Brian Winhurst reporting that uh, I guess the, the Celtics guys were turned down at a restaurant because they were wearing flip-flops. I believe it was because they also had uh, their Team USA basketball shorts on. And they were, uh, <laughs> they, I, I don't know if they were trying to get in because they were like, look, we're from Team USA. But they were told that, that I, I believe that uh, no shorts were allowed at that restaurant. And they, uh, they audibled and found uh, a, a place that was far more accommodating. The Bellagio uh, buffet. Yes. All right. <laughs> Chris Forsberg, welcome back uh, to Sanity there here uh, on the East Coast. Have a wonderful time on vacation. You deserve it. Thanks for joining me on the Haber Show podcast. And you know what? Rock the haircut in Myrtle Beach. No, Thank you. Y- Thank you should you. do it. I'm it gonna, should I'm be gonna... great. There's a lot of interesting uh, haircuts in Myrtle Beach. I can tell you from I had a guy. I mean, if you want to talk about the the business up front and party in the back, man. There was a dude on my flight down to Myrtle Beach that was fantastic. So um, all the best to you and your fan. Let's let's get back when you get uh, when you, when you get back into Boston and let's talk again soon. It's going to be a really fun NBA season. Thanks for joining me, man. Thank you, brother. That'll do it from this episode of the Haber Show podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Chris Forsberg is the man. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Forsberg. That's at C-H-R-I-S-F-O-R-S-B-E-R-G underscore. Not a hyphen, an underscore. Don't forget that underscore. I don't know who the other Chris Forsberg is, but he's not as awesome as this dude. If you haven't listened to the previous episode of the Haber Show, go listen to that. Phone addiction in the NBA, something different. We talk about healthy cell phone habits and... And persuasive technology from a guy who has worked with NBA teams to figure out how they can get players listening, looking up from their phones rather than being on their phones in a social media, Instagram geared NBA. It's an important topic, not just for NBA players, but I think for you two at home. Matt Mayberry at Boundless. He is a really great dude. Great listen. 
Check back next time on the Haver Show podcast in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.